I V M. Hello and welcome to the Filter Coffee Podcast. In this week's episode, we will listen to two experts talking about two different sports that we rarely hear about. One is sumo wrestling, which has a tradition of thousands of years, and the other is esports, which is less than a decade old in its current form. When I asked Sachin Kalbag, who is the editor at Hindustan Times, to join me on an episode, he agreed and said that he can talk about Mumbai, the current political climate, or sumo wrestling. for which he had a great passion i obviously picked sumo wrestling but it meant that i had to prep for weeks to be able to have an intelligent conversation with him boy what an episode it was we spoke about so many myths around that sport my favorite part was when we spoke about sumo wrestlers and how fit they actually are and how everything we think about them or assume about them is probably wrong let's listen in the other myth you know that i wanted to sort of break is um to the outside world it seems like and you alluded to this little earlier sumo wrestlers are these really fat obese unfit people who just building body weight so they can they can wrestle right but nothing can be farther from the truth isn't it they are they are actually extremely fit athletes absolutely right, right. um you know before this talk began I think I'd spoken either to you or somebody else that the ritual, or the, rather the tradition of sumo wrestlers being being fat, actually began sometime in the 1930s. Mm. Before that, sumo wrestlers were very thin, muscular yeah. uh, fighters, and it is only after the 1930s that they realized that the more weight you put, the more difficult it is to push you out of the ring. Right, so the weight became an advantage. On the other hand, they also thought that. increasing weight means that your stamina goes down so they had to keep a balance between weight and uh, muscularity and stamina and fitness so that's the that, that's really the holy grail of of sumo wrestling the the middle note in all of that hakuho kind of embodies that because you know he his weight is about 100 his weight has remained consistently at 154 kilos for a long long time he's maintained that uh, with a great deal of uh, discipline the fat issue is something that is being discussed outside of sumo world because many people don't understand what kind of uh, mm. uh, rituals and what kind of uh, things go behind the scenes so uh, sumo wrestlers almost exclusively eat something called as chankonabe chankonabe is this extremely high protein broth with lots of seafood and chicken and you know meat with uh, a lot of vegetables uh, thrown in and they keep eating that sumo wrestlers food. vegetarian not really no, no. no they mm-hmm. can eat anything that they want in fact i think part of their diet is to eat high protein meat mm. so they eat close to 10000 calories a day an average human being would eat anywhere between 1500 to 1800 yeah, calories a day yeah. uh, they almost eat about six times that but they expend all of that energy uh, all of those calories on this almost on the same day mm. so this is how it happens so when they wake up in the morning around 5 o'clock they do something called a uh, shiko a uh, shiko is um lifting your leg on the your right leg on the right and left leg on the left and almost to a 45 degree angle and thumping it back down on the floor on the on the clay floor this is also uh, what the wrestlers do before about before about right? yeah so and this is a ritual before uh, about also training exercise i mean try doing it i mean it's it's 
extremely tough even for uh, thin people so you can imagine- I, i tried doing it i couldn't do more than more than 20 30 it's yeah. a very painful thing and they to do, do it uh, they do it 400 times a day wow yeah so that's their daily ritual so if you ask a sumo wrestler to do a split a 180 degree split with your legs on either side of your uh, of your of your hip they'll be able to do it easily because their muscles are so supple that they can spread across uh, a floor that easily the second part is about the fat itself hmm. sumo wrestlers have something called subcutaneous fat fat so this fat is stored immediately under the skin you and i normal people have fat which is visceral which is stored mostly at the hip or in the stomach so you'll see potbellied people in the normal course of circumstance but if you see a sumo wrestler he will or she will be i mean he will they'll be universally fat there which is their arms are big their thighs are big their calves are big yeah. etc so the fat is universally stored and it's subcutaneous fat they're easy fat they're easily it can easily be expended by mm. exercise so if you see a sumo wrestler and you tell him to run 100 meters he'll probably be able to run 100 meters not as fast as you may but he will run 100 meters mm. with a certain degree of uh, speed but if you ask a regular person to run 100 meters probably he, mm. he or she mm. will not be able to run that in a certain time so the fitness part is something that is a big myth amongst uh, non so, so he's actually even from a cardiovascular perspective the sumo wrestler is actually very very fit they are they are right. i mean they run across the doyo almost the entire day hmm. uh, they do something called butsukari now butsukari is something where a younger wrestler has to literally push an a senior wrestler out of the ring and with without and the only thing that the uh, older wrestler is allowed to do is just stand there like a wall can you imagine you at you and i maybe at i know i am at about 85 uh, kilos and a wrestler who's about 200 kilos right. you know pushing him out of the ring is going to expend a lot of energy out of you right and they do it close to 100 times a day so they have to do it because it's part of their training process So this is how they build their fitness through the day year after year month after month day after day. So the level of fitness that these people have is extraordinary. Wow. And once they retire from um, sumo it is not very difficult for them to go back to a normal life because they can slowly wean them or them wean themselves off with a high calorie diet to a lower calorie diet there are certain ways to do that one example i give all the time is that of uh, the former yokozuna takanohana hmm. um who was uh, you know close to 140 kilos when he was uh, wrestling when he became an oyakata which is a sumo elder or a coach hmm. he brought it down to uh, around 70 kilos so uh, he he now looks like you and i Exactly. I mean if you look at uh, Takanohana now and if you walk here we see him walking on the street unless you know he's Takanohana. Right. You'll probably not even recognize that he was a sumo wrestler uh, 20 years back. So wow. uh, and he's one of the great sumo wrestlers of all time. So this is the kind of discipline right. needed even after you quit the sport. So this subcutaneous fat is is going to be my my favorite thing for the <laughs> for the next few years. Uh, on that note we're going to take a very short break. We'll be right back on the Filter Coffee podcast. Welcome back to the Filter Coffee podcast. We now tune in to the geometric opposite of sumo wrestling, which is esports. I spoke with Akshat Rathi, who is the founder of Nordwin Gaming, one of the largest rights owners in esports in India. And I spoke to him a few days after I had been to a PUBG event in Delhi's Tyagaraja Stadium. It was my first esports experience and 
I was blown away by the size of the crowd. Basically, a full stadium and how engaged they were throughout the event. Let's join the chat when I speak to Akshat about this phenomenon. So, how, how would you define e-sport before we go any further into this? What, what comprises of e-sports today? Oh, very deep, very, very deep question. Right. Uh, short answer. Let's break the word e-sport into the two composing elements of that word, e mm. and sport. Uh, e-electronic. So, any game that you're playing electronically as a multiplayer between mu- multiple people is the electronic part. Sport is because it's multiplayer. The result is the physical and I underline this bold caps, physical responses between the two players. So mm. the game is won, not because the other side, one side has paid more money or has gone and done something inside the game, which is no, no, the, the physically the other player is better. Now, most of the time, speed. Mm. Response times are so much better by one guy over another guy. That is why the physical nature of reactions on an electronic device compose esports. So, you know, back in the day when we were growing up, we were playing Contra mm-hmm. with, with, with multiple mm-hmm. consoles mm-hmm. and all of that, right? Like, is that eSport? That's a game. That's a game, right. You had a score. Mm. Scores could be competitive. Mm. So you could have what is called asynchronous mm. sport. Just like, let's take a real world example, Tour de France. Right. The Tour de France is a cycle race where you don't compete with another person who's riding next to you. Mm. You actually have a time trial. Mm. You, you, have, you set a time. And someone else goes and tries to beat that time. Right. Uh, that's why it's called a time trial. And so it's called asynchronous competition. Mm-hmm. So you scored 17,260 points in Contra or Mario mm-hmm. because you got an X number of coins, Y in amount of time that you took to do it, Z amount of lives that are left at the end right. of it. Um, and that gave you your score. And I scored 18,260 mm-hmm. because I did something better. I was either faster than you, I took more coins than you, I lost lives, less mm-hmm. lives than mm-hmm. you. And that's why I got 18,240 versus your 17,000. And I won. Mm. Uh, so this is a synchronous competition. Mm. Uh, but most esport is synchronous. That means you are playing against me live. Mm. Mm. Which basically means, and where I was going with that, that contract question is that uh, the way we, we, we probably define esport today is where it is being played either on the mobile phone or on a console across the internet. It's a multiplayer player mm. game. It doesn't have to be mobile. It can be a it can be a PC, PC game, or a console, right? Right. And uh, before we go into f- further defining this, right? When did this terminology originate? Like esports? Yeah. 1974. 1974. With, with what? Stanford did an experiment of war games where they had uh, two teams of four, uh, two teams going and play against each other a game of space war. Okay. Uh, that was the first ever documented game of a multiplayer esport game. Right. Ever. Uh, this must be within the ARPANET. Uh, it was in so, the ARPANET. It uh, was at the Stanford thing. University campus itself. Right, right. Um, and then the the next 10 years happened, which is basically because computers were so expensive, it used to be at location. Right. Then the, came, uh, the time came for arcades and consoles. Uh, so it became those, you put a coin so the in. the Nintendo. No, well, the coins, oh, the, the operated machines right, came right, in. Right. The way you had games like Street Fighter and Galaxian yeah. and yeah. Pong and, and, and all of those came then came the age of the personal consoles, uh, the Nintendos and Ataris yes. in yes. your house. Then came the invention of the millennium, which is internet. And right. then everyone go, started going and playing against each other. Mm. And then once everyone started playing against each other, the new, the modern generation of esports happened. And then games like Doom started off 
uh, and Wolfenstein started off this yes. entire yeah. uh, competitive generation coming in and then it became better and better and then games like Counter-Strike came along 25 years ago. And then... Was that the watershed moment? That was the first time that... Actually, the first game that, that really did it uh, was a game by the name of Warcraft by Blizzard. Right. Uh, and then StarCraft after that. And then Counter-Strike was the first multiplayer shooter. And those legacy games, Warcraft and StarCraft, now have StarCraft 3. Um, Warcraft led to Dota and Heroes of the Storm and mm. all that entire mobile generation. And the FPSs have Fortnite and, and Counter-Strike and Call of Duty. Um, and those have lasted. Those mm. have become the de rigueur 20-year... Esports is often judged by the longevity it can go ahead and have. And and we've been around as an industry for about 30, 40 years. Um, okay. And like all great grassroots industries, it takes about 25, 30 years for it to go ahead and form. Mm. And the reason why it does so well right now is all the people who grew up with those became parents and mm. they encouraged their kids to go ahead and play. Mm. Mm. And that's why it's our the generation who played Contra Right. Has a kid who's 15 now and who is a gamer and it's no shame. Right. And that's the that's yes. the generational yep. uh, benefit of this whole, the dividend of this whole yep. thing, right? Well, that's what yeah. self, think about what was the worst. We tell our young kids right now that they're spending, some of them, some of the people say they're spending an inordinate amount of time and wasting their time by playing video games. Hmm. I remember my parents had exactly the same words to say to us. Right. And we, at that time, it used to be a landline phone. It used to be stuck to our head all the time. It's like, why don't you go out and meet people? Why are you yes. on the phone all the time? <laughs> and and then you used to go and like, it really used to be that problem our parents had with us. Right. Why are you on your cell phone? Why, why are you on your landline phone all the time? Yeah, we answer yeah. the same thing. Why, why are you on your cell phone all the Correct. time? Right. Correct. Nothing changes. Yes. Yes. But but we we now taking the definition. Uh, I'm not. I'm talking about today's esport, not the ARPANET, not not the uh, not the Doom generation. Today's esport, we're actually taking the definition of sport fairly seriously now, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and we spoke about parents, so it's a good time to speak about careers. Mm-hmm. So there are people who are professional esports men and women. Yep. And who are making a decent living yep. out of this. Yep. And this is now a career option, right? Yep. How did we get here to, to this phase of it? Natural evolution. Anytime when people are going to go ahead and take a take something that is in interactive entertainment, they're going to interact with it over multiple cycles of interaction with them by by just evolution theory. Some people will become better at that than other right. people. If someone loves it enough, they'll spend 10,000 hours in it. If you spend 10,000 hours in it, you will have mastery theory. If you have mastery theory, you will be def- better than anyone else. No, I mean, that, that, is, that is the philosophical way of looking at it. But I'm, I'm just, for example, you take a parallel to poker. Yep. Right. Now, poker has been there for, for decades, right? probably even before the, the yep. ARPANET game that yep. you're talking about. Right? Now, Texas Hold'em uh, took, a, took a big turn in, say, 2003 or so, yep. when you know, there used to be a really small event they used to call as the World Series of Poker. Yep. Like, ev- everything in the US is a World Series of something. Right? Yep. Um, That's the world, right? <laughs> right. Uh, and, and, and then I remember very uh, clearly there's this one time where it was partially televised event. Yep. Like you'll have highlights of this, etc., and uh, there was one amateur uh, player um, who ironically had a name, Chris Moneymaker, yeah. who first, he was an accountant uh, working in the company and then decided that I'm going to take $5,000 off my bank and then start playing this this series. 
and then he made a million dollars yep. and and it was televised yep. now w- what that did to the game is it created an audience yep. right now for all sport you need an audience yep. right for e sport that seems to have happened in the last 4 or 5 years well 8 year 9 years ago when nine years ago. uh 9 years ago there were always tournaments but right. the big breakout tournament was when valve who owns counter strike and also a game called dota 2 announced the world's first million dollar tournament that was 7 years ago and they literally went everyone used to go ahead and have prizes of $10,000 $12,000 they went and broke the bank by going and saying a million dollars that tournament today is the world's largest esports tournament with a total prize pool of $32 million $32 million i'm going to say that one more time let's translate translate that into numbers and rupees 220 crores right that is way more than any grand slam event or it's the it's the probably what a it's the highest prize pool sport in the world in the world right is more than football yep and uh, when i said you know you're taking the word sport very very seriously i mean to a point where uh, esport is now a, a demo sport in the olympics is that yeah, right it was a demo sport in the olympics last uh, this winter olympics mm. that happened in south korea Mm. We as ESL and and Intel were part of setting up that demo. Right, people from across the world participated, and esports is very empowering in terms of being gender neutral. So right. there is no boys versus girls. There is no advantage a female has over a man. I actually believe because of their multitasking capabilities, they are actually better than us. Right. And lo and behold, uh, at the demo sport across twenty twenty two countries, a girl from Canada called Scarlett won the world championship. Wow! There was everyone was over the moon. Right. Um and she won it fair and square. It's she beat, beat Koreans, Indians, Japanese, Russians, Americans, and everyone and she was right. the best in the world. And 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 this was the the Winter Olympics that's the Winter in, Olympics in China. In uh, Korea, South Korea. In in Korea, right. Okay. And uh, uh it is also making inroads into the Asian Games. Yes, it was a uh, again a demo sport at the last Asian Games in Jakarta. Right. Uh, and India actually won uh, called Tirth won the bronze medal there. right and um and it's going to be in the next asian games again oh, wow. and uh, and this is with our mobile first philosophy mm. which is no longer pc or console which the western world has a huge lead on right. i think on mobile games india is going to be on par if not better than anyone else in the world well that was this week's episode if you want to listen to the full episodes please do so on the ivm podcast app or ivmpodcasts.com you can also follow us on our social media We are at IVM Podcasts on Twitter and Instagram. And if you want to reach out to me, I am the underscore Karthik. That's Karthik with an H on Twitter, and Filter underscore Coffee. That's Coffee with a K on Instagram. Mm-hmm.